So I'd like to encourage you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. And um, there is actually a Bible app event for this message. If you have the Bible app, you version Bible app, you click the menu, click on your location, and it should have an event for Kerbinsville Alliance. I want to talk to you today about planning, what kind of things you might have planned for this afternoon. Let me just ask this question. Who has plans for this afternoon? Put your hand up. you got plans. Okay, good. About half of us, what are the other half are you going to do? You don't know, right? Yeah. How about this week? You have plans for this week? Right now I'm planning a meeting uh, with the trustees and we're scheduling that uh, for Wednesday. Always planning, right? How about this year? Do you have plans for this year? You know, it's the kind of thing that you say to somebody when you bump into them. So you say, what are you doing today? Or, hey, what are you doing this week? And often you just say it to make small talk. But I want to suggest to you that those questions are not just about small talk. They're about something important. What are you doing with your life? I've been involved in a number of ministries through the years, a number of different ministries. For example, when I was in Bradford, Pennsylvania, I was involved in the birthing of a crisis pregnancy center, a pregnancy care center in Bradford. And, and I, I worked with a group of people watching uh, those people determine that they wanted to do something in their community to help women who faced an unexpected pregnancy make wise choices and to have the help that they needed through those choices. And I remember I watched that, I watched that idea move from something that a half a dozen people spoke about in the living room to having an office in the corner of the biggest building downtown serving women in crisis pregnancy. And I think about that, I think that's because the people who I worked with were not nearsighted. They were not just thinking about the problems they faced right there, but rather they were looking toward the future and planning. I can think of it in other examples as well. I mentioned to you your ministerial association here in Kermansville. You know, there was a time that those pastors got together, and the big thing that we did together was had coffee and donuts. And a big issue on the agenda was, who's bringing the donuts next month, you know? And that was fun. That's all good. But this Methodist guy came in, and he said, I wonder if we put our heads together, if we could plan to do something meaningful in our community. And that was the beginning of a group of men and women who sat together as leaders of churches, and said, how can we impact our community? And the reason that they could do that and have helped people in this area to the tune of a quarter million dollars, the reason that they did that is because they were not nearsighted. They weren't just looking at one thing as it came onto their plate at a time, but rather they kind of looked into the future and they planned, how can we effectively help people? The same way with Mahaffey Camp. I can remember as a kid going to Mahaffey Camp, I would go with my pastor and we would take all the boards off of all the windows of all the buildings. They would be off for 10 days and then we would put them all back on and go home. And that was Mahaffey Camp. It was a 10-day ministry. For, for generations, it was like that. And somewhere along the way, a group of people said, I wonder if we can just stop looking at what's right in front of us and imagine a future where this camp is a Christian center for spiritual growth. And now it's open year-round, and it affects many, 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 many more people than it could have for the sake of God. Those people in that board and those people in that pregnancy care center and those pastors at that ministerial association, they had one thing in common. They didn't look at what was on their schedule today exclusively. They looked ahead, and they planned for the future. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're thinking, I kind of like this stuff, man, because I'm on an organization, I'm on a ministry, I'm doing a thing here, and I kind of like to get that going. I'm going to take these ideas, I'm going to plug them into that organization. I'm not talking to you about that today. 
Okay? I want to talk to you about you. Not about your church, not about your whatever. I want to talk to you about your heart. I want to remind you that there are certain things in this world that God has for you to do, and you're just the right person to do them. So don't take these applications or these concepts or others and apply them to some kind of ministry out there. Try to apply this idea of this lid of nearsightedness to your own life. Because it is a lid that will hold you down if you're exclusively nearsighted. And when you can take that lid off and look toward the future, God can do some amazing things. Have you noticed there are a lot of people who kind of avoid looking to the future? When you're talking to them about the future, they, they kind of seem to shut down. Maybe, maybe they find it overwhelming. I find it overwhelming when my wife says, we need to plan a family reunion with all of my brothers and sisters and all my nieces and nephews. I just shut down. That's overwhelming to me, right? Future. Sometimes we shut down because we find it overwhelming. Other times we, we don't want to think about the future because maybe we planned something in the future and it didn't pan out. And so we see thinking about the future is just an exercise in futility. I just want to pay the bills I have. That's all I want. I don't want to think about the future at all. Whatever the reason that we tend to avoid thinking about the future, the outcome is always the same. Whatever reason it is that you might have not to want to think uh, about the, the future, the outcome is, well, it's kind of like the picture on the screen. Yeah, you're looking at the picture on the screen, you can see the spectacles in the foreground. But that which is further ahead, further down the beach, is that a beach? I'm not even sure. Is that a girl? I'm not even sure what that is. And we'll never know. Because the focus is just on the right now. I'm not looking forward or not looking ahead. I want to I encourage you to ask God to show you what he has in mind in your future. To see what he wants to unfold. I want you to take off the lid of nearsightedness. Now, I'm thinking here about, I'm going to be reading you Jeremiah 29 in a minute. And I'm sure that all of you have been reading through Jeremiah all your life every day, right? No, right? Bible's a pretty big book, and you get to Jeremiah, you're like, what is that about? I'm not, I can't remember what that, that's about. He was a bullfrog? I don't know, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe an African prince? Who knows, right? This Jeremiah here was a prophet, and he is living in a time at a point in Bible history when the people of God have kind of turned their back on God. And they've, rather than embracing God, they've kind of embraced some really evil things. And so God has a plan. And his plan is to bring them back, bring their hearts back to him. And it's going to take a while. He has sent them into exile. Exile means you can't live here anymore. You've got to live over there. And the place of exile that he has sent them to is Babylon. Babylon is modern-day Iraq. That's a place that probably none of us want to go right now, right? It's a place that none of them wanted to go in Jeremiah's day. No desire to do that. But God knew that the only way I'm going to be able to get these people to turn their heart back to me is to send them there. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And so God sent his people away from the promised land to Babylon to live there almost as slaves, so to speak, of the Babylonian people. So let's read about this. We're in Jeremiah 29, and we're going to start reading in verse 4. We're going to read through to verse 14. Okay, that's what, 11 verses there. Follow along silently as I read. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too 
may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Do not listen to the prophets and diviners among you. I'm sorry, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Okay, here's what's going on. Let's pause a minute. Here's what's going on. Jeremiah is a prophet of God. And he has been telling the people, God is going to send you into exile. Nobody wants to hear that message. And so there's the false prophets of God who are like, Jeremiah doesn't know what he's talking about. Don't worry. Quit quit worrying about it. Jeremiah, he's just that guy. He's a wet blanket. He's always been that way. I remember him in seventh grade. He was that way. So he's a problem. Don't listen to Jeremiah. So God is saying, no, Jeremiah is telling the truth. You're in exile. And I told you you would be. Okay, so let's keep reading. Verse 10, God talks about the plans he has. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Now, this next verse, verse 11, This is my wife's life verse. Listen to how beautiful it is. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Wow, isn't that beautiful? Verse 12. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. You read those words and you realize that God is a God of plans. He is a God who makes plans. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I have plans, God is saying. God is not just wandering through space and time aimlessly. He's not meandering, you know. God is not a God without purpose. He is a God of determination. He is a God of purpose. He is a being of intentionality. The Bible speaks of that all the time. The Bible speaks of God being a planner regarding our redemption. And sometimes you hear people sharing the gospel, sharing the good news about Jesus. And sometimes they'll couch it in different ways. They'll say it in different ways. And occasionally maybe you've heard someone say, you know, God was up in heaven and he looked down and he saw all of us and how we have turned our hearts away from him and how we are doomed because of our rebellion. And he decided, you know what? I'm going to go down there. And Jesus came down and Jesus died for us. Now, I understand why people say it that way, but that's not entirely accurate. That makes God really nearsighted, like, Oh, I didn't see this coming, but now that it's here, let's go ahead and send Jesus to die for people's sins. The Bible says that that's a very ancient plan. That the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit decided on this plan to redeem us, to ransom us, very early on. Peter writes about it. Peter says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. 
but was the precious blood of Jesus. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. When was this plan enacted? Before the creation of the world. Before you and I ever sinned. Before you and I were even born or conceived. Before Adam and Eve were created. Before he said, let there be light, he planned our redemption because God is not nearsighted. He looks down the road of time and he plans. While he was on earth here, Jesus made plans. He planned to go to the cross. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He set his face like flint for Jerusalem. It was a plan. Even at his crucifixion, he's standing before Pontius Pilate, and Jesus says, in fact, the reason I was born and have come into the world is to testify to the truth. I have a reason to be here. It's part of my plan. He planned to change the world through people like you and me. And before, after he had died, and after he arose from the grave, he was with his disciples, and he's ready to ascend into heaven. And he says to them in Acts chapter 1, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's my plan. That's what I'm going to do. And so Jesus was not nearsighted. He wasn't just taking this day and doing things like this. He was, he was planning through the centuries, through the eons of time. He looked to the future. The Holy Spirit is a planner as well. After Jesus had ascended to the Father, he sends the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. The church is filled with the Spirit. People are filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit shows, I have plans. For example, in Acts chapter 13, in verse 2, we read, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. By the way, that guy Saul, he changed his name later to Paul, and he wrote more of the New Testament than any other person. Why? Because God had plans for him. Now, let me pause here. I even have a pause slide. How clever is that? Let's pause here for a moment. Some might say that planning is the work of God and not the work of us. After all, James says, you people who say, I'm going to go to this city and do business and that, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, do that. I'm going to talk about that passage tonight at 6 o'clock if you happen to be here. But some people might say, planning is something for God and I don't do any planning. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds the future and I know who holds my hand and I'm not about planning. And they might use Jesus' words to kind of leverage their position. They might look at like Matthew 6.34, where Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I'm not thinking, I'm not planning, Pastor. I don't like this sermon. I don't like where it's going. But understand this. That verse, those words from Jesus in Matthew 6.34, are not telling us not to plan. They are warning us not to worry. There's a big difference there. An important distinction there. In fact, planning is part of Matthew 6. If you happen to go back maybe 15 verses previous to that, you would hear Jesus telling people to plan for the future. When he says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal, but rather store up for yourself treasures on in heaven. Treasures in heaven. Wow. He wants you to plan for the future. 
He doesn't want you to be nearsighted. Just thinking about this moment. He wants you to be farsighted. <laughs> Not exactly. He wants you to be all-sighted. He wants you to look toward the future. You know, the reason for this, I think the reason God wants us to think about the future is because he wants to spare us the outcome of nearsighted living. The outcome of nearsighted living is manifold, uh, disappointment with missed opportunities. In his book on heaven, Randy Alcorn tells a story about a vocalist named Ruth Ann Metzger. I googled her. I can't find her, so I don't know who she is. But he tells this story that she was seen at a wedding of a couple who must have been well-heeled. Do you know what well-heeled means? That means they had the money, right? Because at the end of the wedding, then everyone was going to go to the reception, which was held in Seattle's Columbia Tower. Wow. On the top floors. Floors. Did you hear that? Floors. Big ordeal. Big party. The best place in Seattle to have that. (laughs) Ruth Ann and her husband are pretty excited about it. Wedding's over, they show up at the tower and the ceremonial ribbon is cut and everyone goes in uh, up toward where you're going into the main area to, to be admitted to this great reception. And when she gets there, the maitre d' says, names please? She says, these are our names, the Metzgers. How are you spelling that? Just like it sounds. I'm sorry, your name's not on the list. Well, that must be a mistake because <laughs> I, I, know, I know I'm supposed to be here. I sang at their wedding. I don't care what you did. If your name is not on this list, you're not allowed to be in here. And he got another waiter. (laughs) Would you please show them to the elevator? The waiter took him over to the service elevator, put him in, pressed G, and dumped him right out in the parking lot. So there they are. They're on their way home. It's pretty quiet in the car, as you can imagine. Husband's driving. He reaches over. He touches his wife on his arm, on her arm, and says, sweetheart, what happened? She said, I never RSVP'd. And that's what happened. Now, Thursday night men's group, there's a lesson for you here. <laughs> you know, on Thursday night, we have this men's group. It started out to be about a dozen. There's 25 guys on that, may, on that texting group now. Probably anywhere from 12 to 16 show up. And I always, we take turns bringing the food. You understand? Do you know how much it costs to feed 25 guys? It's a lot of money, right? I'm not taking a turn again for another five years. That's what I'm doing, right? Right? But but guys are really great. I've never been in a place where we couldn't find someone to bring the food. And and recently, I think because it's so expensive to buy pizza, maybe it's not, maybe there are other reasons, but recently guys have been bringing food. Like someone brought stuffed shells one week that his wife made. Um, Drew this week, or last week rather, I'm not sure I got this exactly right, but let me describe it. I might use some artistic license, okay? So Drew says, uh, I'm going to bring sauerkraut and pork. And on the bottom of it, he had pork roast and a layer of sauerkraut. And then he had pork chops and a layer of sauerkraut. And then he had kielbasa and a layer of sauerkraut. And then he had five packages of hot dogs on top of that. And he put it on his slow cooker and he let it cook for 30 years and we ate it. It was great. It was great. Right? And after the men... Now, now here's a problem you have when you're managing a small group like this. That you send out a message and you say, I'd like to know if you're coming to the small group so I can tell people like Drew or whoever's bringing the food... I can tell them how many to buy for or how many to prepare for, right? And, you know, they reply like whenever they please. Most of them. There are a couple of them that are like, I'll reply right now. Most of them say, oh, yeah, yeah. And so then come along on Monday or the next day, rather. I, I do that on Wednesday. So on Thursday at noon, I say, okay, 12 guys are coming. And then it's like, oh, I'm coming too. Oh, I'm coming too. Oh, I'm coming. And if you're the guy who says I'm coming too, you feel a little bad about yourself, you should. Because if I was a maitre d', you'd be in a parking lot going home. <laughs> Right? Okay, now, 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 listen, this past week, 
Tony Williams, do you know who that is? He works at Brother's Pizza. He's married to uh, the heir to Brother's Pizza, the heiress to Brother's Pizza. Uh, Tony and Rachel come to church here, right? Tony sends this message to me, and he says, Pastor Steve, I'm making carnitas. I don't even know what that is. And I'm not sure if it's right that a guy named Tony is making carnitas. It feels a little bit like that's a cross-cultural thing there, right? When I tasted it, I knew it was right. right? So I send out the text on Wednesday, the day before. I say, hey, guys, let me know if you're coming. Tony is bringing carnitas. And man, bam, 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 my phone lit up. Everybody's coming for the carnitas, right? They all RSVP'd. They were planning ahead because they want to make sure they got the food. Because here's what I'm going to say. You know, someday we're going to come in there and there's going to be like enough food for 15 people and 17 or so up. I'm going to say, you three guys, you just watch us eat because you didn't RSVP, right? So I'm going to do someday. No, I would never do that. You know I would never do that. I would divide the loaves and the fishes and everything would be okay, right? Here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. If you don't, think about the future. RSVPing is just a small way to think about the future. But if you don't think about the future, you may find yourself disappointed down the road. And Jesus is saying, I'm a planner. I want you to be a planner because I want to save you the disappointment of missed opportunity. But that's really small compared to another thing he wants to spare us of, and that is ineffective living. Did you hear that sentence? Ineffective living. I do a lot of funerals for strangers. I always sit down with the family for any, any, anything from 20 minutes to an hour, and I say, tell me about Tell me about your dad. And sometimes the things they tell me about his life. I mean, here they are. They're taking 70 years of a life and showing it to the pastor so the pastor has something important to say at the funeral. And and I'm just going to tell you, sometimes I feel so bad because the big thing that he liked to do in life was hunting grouse. I love to hunt grouse. I like to think I'm part of the reason there's a shortage of grouse in Pennsylvania because of how many I killed in McKean County, right? That is not the essence of living. That is not the essence of living. You know that guy Saul that the Holy Spirit chose with Barnabas to do the work which I had intended them? When he came to the end of his life, he was writing to a young pastor and he said beautiful words. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Oh, buddy, buddy, I want to say those words when my time comes. I want to feel like I have lived effectively. That my life has had meaning. And the only way that will have it, the only way that will happen is if I avoid nearsightedness. If I look ahead and say, God, what do you have in mind for me? Show me how to do it. And then I choose to do it. I live to impact people for Jesus Christ. I live for that. I told you my wife's life verse earlier. My life verse is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though Christ, God, were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And you don't have to be a pastor for that to be your life verse. You don't have to be a pastor to feel like you're living intentionally and you're not living ineffectively. You don't need to be a pastor to make a difference in the world. That was my life verse before I ever became a pastor. Before I ever became a pastor. I want to live effectively. We don't want to get to the end of our life and feel as though we have done nothing of, here's the word, eternal consequence. I I don't want that. I don't think you want that. So avoid nearsighted living. Think about the future. Imagine how what you're doing today influences your tomorrow and even your eternity. Think about that. And imagine 
what you can do tomorrow that will be meaningful if you prepare now to do that tomorrow. Avoid being nearsighted. Because it will end in disappointed hearts. Not just yours, the disappointment of missed opportunity, but the people around you who you love, who are looking to you. If you're living a nearsighted life, you may be bringing disappointment to theirs. We've all seen sports people who have been in in trouble somehow. Maybe it was a drug thing or whatever it was. Someone will stick a microphone in front of them or they'll have to go make a statement or something. And, and they'll say something like this. They'll say, well, I never signed up to be a role model. I signed up to play ball. And discerning hearts, discerning hearts know that's just a sad perspective. Because you don't get that choice. When people are looking at you, you are influencing them. When people are looking at you, you are influencing them. And the people who look to you are probably, in your life, the people you love the most and want to influence the best. It's true. And you don't want to break their hearts. You want to think about the future and make wise choices in the present, in the present, to move you into the future. How do you do that? How do you look to the future? How? Huh. Let me tell you, it's not by using a crystal ball. You know, it's Clearfield Fair. There's a lot of different people selling food. And a kid I grew up with, his name is Moon. Moon's Meats. I don't know if you ever saw that at Clearfield County Fair, but Moon's Meats uh, had been there years ago. Probably 20 years ago, I, I saw him there and I was talking to him. I said, hey, good to see you. I haven't seen you in forever. And as we were talking, he said, I got a funny story to tell you. He said, see this spot right next to me where nobody is? I said, yeah, yeah. He said, there's fortune tellers there. You know, they're using cards, crystal balls. I don't know what they're using. They're telling people's fortunes there. I said, oh. That's not a funny story. He said, well, I'm not done yet, Steve. Give me a minute. He said, I'm up here and I'm cooking and stuff. And one of them comes over and she holds up her arm and it's got something white on it, a white goo on it. And she says, look at this, look at this. I said, yeah. She said, you splattered me with your mayonnaise. And Moon said, I don't have any mayonnaise here. But there's a lot of birds around. (laughs) And then Moon made this comment. He would say, you think if they knew the future, they would know that that was a bird. You would think that, <laughs> think that would be the case, right? <laughs> you don't look into the future with a crystal ball or with cards. Listen, 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 listen. You look into the future with faith. Trusting God. Listen, not faith that what you want to happen will happen, but faith that He has a plan for you. Faith that this sentence is true. There are certain things in this world God has for you to do, and you are just the right person to do them. You look into the future, trusting that He is that kind of God. And as you do that, you pay attention. You pay attention. And if you've been around a while, you know that you need to pay attention to the Word of God. The Bible. That book that's been around for these thousands of years. That speaks from God's heart. That contains God's Word. That is God's Word. It speaks in amazing ways. So you pay attention to the Word of God. You know, the book of Psalms is a book of poetry. And the poet that wrote Psalm 119 said this. He said, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And when I think of that, I think there's a lot of truth to that. No kidding. That I have watched people who have disregard for the Word of God and are trying to live some kind of a quote-unquote spiritual existence and they're bouncing off of things they're getting covered with bird poop at the Clearfield County Fair. 
If you're not in the Bible, you significantly lower your chances of seeing what God has for you in the future. If you're not in the Bible, you make yourself a target of deception from the deceiver. And he will tell you things about your future that are not accurate. Do you know people who made tragic decisions in their life regarding their future? It's probably because they listened to one who deceived them. And they might not have had they known the Bible. If you're not in the Bible, you may imagine a future for you that God does not have in mind for you. And you may come to the end of that future and say, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? What was I thinking? So pay attention to the Bible. Read it. Listen to it. There's so many options in front of us. The YouVersion Bible app. I love that thing. I love that thing. You know, there, there are Bible reading plans in there. You can say, I'm going to read through the whole Bible in a year. And I, I did that until last year. I did that year after year after year. Now I'm using the Mission 119 app, which takes me a year and a half to read through the Bible, but I get Dr. Soper's commentary. Those are great resources for you. Maybe you're thinking, I'm not going to read through the Bible in a year. But the, okay, that's cool. How about reading through the Gospels in a year or the New Testament in a year? Or let's just do John in a month, you know? Listen, listen, here it is. How do we look to the future? You pay attention. You pay attention to the Word of God. You pay attention to the Spirit of God because He speaks. Often the Bible will say, God is not a dumb idol. And, you know, I can remember as a kid reading that, I thought, he's not stupid. But dumb doesn't mean stupid. Dumb means mute, unable to talk. It says God himself, the God we know, he speaks. He speaks to us. And he speaks by his Holy Spirit. And that which he speaks, by the way, is always in accordance with his word. If God tells you something and it seems to be out of tune with his word, then then you're the one that's out of tune. You're missing it. But when he speaks to you by his spirit, pay attention to that. And pay attention to the path you're walking to the road you're on, the path you're taking in your life right now. Look in the future and say, is that going to take me to the place that God has shown me? Think about that. The path you're on right now, is it leading you to be more like Jesus? Or are you less like Jesus now that you've been walking that path for a short time? The road that you're on right now, is it leading you to love God more deeply and care about people more significantly? Or is it kind of leading you to be selfish? Or to do things that you know you ought not be doing? Ask yourself, is this path leading me to the place God wants me to be? Because self-awareness, that's what looking at the path is. Self-awareness is a starting place for change and growth. If you're not aware that you're on the wrong path, you won't change. Take a look at your path. So number one, pay attention. (laughs) Number two, you move in the direction God has in mind for you by exerting energy. And I mean real energy. I mean getting up off the couch, right? It is really easy to just work with what's in front of you. So easy to do that. To just live one day at a time. To just do what you need to do now and not think about it. Pay today's bills. Don't put anything in savings. Don't think about what am I going to need tomorrow? Who cares? I'll just, I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. It's kind of the lazy man's way of living your life. And spiritually, it's tragic. I mean, economically, it can be a problem, but spiritually, if you're living that way, it's not good. It is hard work to discern the future that God has for you. I remember my daughter Esther laying in bed when she was little. I'd say, there are certain things God has for you to do, and you're just the right person to do them. She'd say, how will he tell me? He'll tell you. I keep listening, and I'm not hearing. You know, she's just a little girl, right? I'm not hearing God. Well, he'll tell you when he gets there, and he'll tell you. I never told her. I never told her what God had for her to do. He told her. It's hard work to discern that. It's hard work to move into the future. 
That's why the Bible says in Philippians chapter 3, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press toward the goal to win the prize. That word straining, do you know what it means? Straining. You know, it is leaning ahead to reach something. It's Luke Skywalker laying there, not able to reach his lightsaber. You know what I mean? And Mr. Spock is like, use the force, Luke. That was just mean to all the nerds, wasn't it? Yeah, I feel your pain. It is literally leaning forward to reach that which you will never be able to reach from the recliner. Straining toward what is ahead. And that word pressing on, one of the understandings of that word is to hunt for something like a hunter, like an archer. Now, we Pennsylvania hunters, you know what we do? We get out in the woods, we stand there, and we just wait for the deer to come by. That's not the kind of hunting it's talking about. It's talking about tracking something down and trailing it like you are a beagle on a rabbit. That's pressing on, and that takes energy. So it takes a choice on your behalf to say, I am going to look to the future, and I am going to discover what God has in mind for me. When you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. It was in a text we read earlier today. Yeah. It takes energy. And it takes a steady energy. By that, I mean it takes a consistent energy. The plans of the diligent, Scripture says, lead to profit. Diligent, not casual effort. Steady, not when it feels good effort. Persistent. Even when you know it's going to be hard and it takes you out of your comfort zone, you know this is going to be a difficult thing for me, but I want it and I will not be denied. It is a deliberate effort to look forward to what God might be telling you He has in mind for you. And until you're willing to take that effort, you're going to be under a lid. A lid that will hold you inside, hold you down, and keep you from being what God has for you to do, to be. So, you know, you bump into that old buddy from high school. Haven't seen him since you graduated from high school. That girlfriend of yours from high school, you and she bump into one another. Well, I meant, I'm speaking for women now. I don't want to move this to a romantic thing. So. so you're seeing an old friend from high school. And you say things. You know what you say? You say, how's it going? Man, I haven't seen you. How long has it been? Wow, this is really good to see you. What are you doing for a living? Where do you work? Got a family? Got any children? Grandchildren? Girlfriend? What, what, you know, whatever happened to Will, Will McMobley? What happened to him? Yeah, I often wonder about him. You know what? We really need together. We need to get together. We really need to get together, you and me, and just talk these things over. It'd be cool. I haven't seen you in so long. This is great. We should get together sometime. Yeah, we should. Okay, see you later. You know, you know the outcome, right? <laughs> it is never gonna happen. It's never gonna happen because neither of you said, yeah, let's make a plan. Let's do it. It's not always bad, depending on that friend, right? <laughs> You might not want to get together with just anybody. But when it comes to how our lives, how we live our lives as followers of Jesus, we can't afford that nearsightedness that just says, oh yeah, sometime I'll think about that, but right now I'm busy dealing with this stuff. We must look ahead. We cannot not look into the future. We cannot not make plans for what God has in mind for us. Because if we persist in being nearsighted, there will be a lid that prevents us from being everything that God has in mind for us to be. So I want to pray. 
that we would blow off this lid of nearsightedness and that we would look toward the future. If you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll pray. Routine, man, it is the death of me. Routine is when you say, oh, we're standing now, we're going to pray. Oh, we'll probably get out of here by seven after. That's pretty cool. Yeah, let's go for that. Get out of that routine. Ready? Ready? Are you in? You're in a routine? Get out now. Okay, out of the routine. We're talking to God now, okay? So think about it. Think about your life. Are you looking toward the future? Have you asked him about the future? Are you reading his word to discern what he has to say to you about the future? Or are you just getting by day to day? Don't want to do that. So we're going to ask God, take this lid of nearsightedness off that only looks right here. God, show us, show us what's ahead. We are committed to expending the energy that will be required to discover that. That's what I'm going to pray. So let's pray. Father in heaven, these lids are so so common and yet so problematic. And sometimes we look at these lids and we say, well, everybody has that. And maybe that's true. That doesn't mean it's okay. Doesn't mean it's okay. We don't want to have this lid of nearsightedness. We want our lives to count. We want to come to the end and say, I've run the race, finished the fight. I did something of eternal consequence and not something of temporary consequence. And so, Father, we remove this lid of nearsightedness and we will look toward you to discover what you have in mind for us. We take a minute right now and we look at our lives. We look at the road we're on and we imagine where that future will lead us. And we ask you, is that where, is that where you want us? Show us. We commit to expending the energy to discovering, to discerning your plan for us because we know the plans you have for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us life abundant. We trust you. In Christ's name, amen. You stood before creation Eternity in your hand You spoke the earth into motion My soul now